This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Joshua Wilson makes his third appearance on our program. Brother Joshua is a pastor and also owns and operates a ranch for children called Sunshine Acres. Joshua is also an accomplished musician, a prolific writer. In short, Joshua Wilson is a teacher and a pretty good one at that. In our discussion today, we touch not just on your rancher concepts, which are always fun, but also our current state in terms of politics, social evolution, and what is most needed today as society goes through a metamorphosis of change. A lot to cover, and we jump right in with my guest Joshua Wilson, this time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast. I was talking to my my oldest daughter, Rebecca, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this morning, and she was she's a Arantia book reader. She's just so happy that that the knowledge that people have is going to be able to carry on into the next life and they're going to be able to use their skills and it's all it doesn't all just disappear and go away well see that's interesting because having that nugget of information makes everything else make sense it's the opposite of that when you don't think that this life has any value to your continued existence that's why we're in the trouble we're in. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of sad. Because sad if, Putin to... knew, if, if Putin knew that he would be held accountable, or anybody, that matter, a, a common criminal, if they knew and they were taught from a young age, you will be held accountable for all of your actions, and they do matter, that would change. But we're actually taught the opposite, that nothing matters. Isn't that strange? Right, and there's no repercussions, and uh, the will to power is all that matters, and it's it's a very nihilistic uh, way to look at life. And I'm just so happy, you know, to be involved with people that uh, are engaging life and engaging spirit. And this is part of this thing that to kind of lead into food, fuel, and finance. Um, is I, I have some quotes here where Jesus got together with his friends and discussed politics. And I want to, this is out of the Arantia book. Of course, nobody knows about it. So this is why I have to talk about it. <laughs> and so uh, so the, the thing is that, like, here's a quote um, from paper 128. And it says, it was difficult for Jesus' friends to comprehend the range of his intellectual activities, how he could so suddenly and so completely swing from the profound discussion of politics, philosophy, or religion to the lighthearted and joyous playfulness of these tots 
from five to ten years of age. Damn. So there it goes. It says that he would get together in private. And then there's another one. It says the Zebedee family um, never failed to attend the conferences of questions and answers, which Jesus concluded each evening after supper. The youthful neighbors also came in frequently to attend these meetings. To these little gatherings, Jesus gave varied and advanced instruction, just as advanced as they could comprehend. Now, here it comes. He talked quite freely with them, expressing his ideas and ideals about politics, sociology, science, and philosophy, but never presumed to speak with authoritative finality except when discussing religion, the relation of man to God. So there's two quotes that said that in these nighttime meetings and these small groups and with his friends, he freely discussed politics. But even here, the master of a universe was not going to speak authoritatively on politics and say this is the way it is and this is how you should vote and, and all that kind of stuff because it's always changing. But I think it's, I just want to sweep away um, this cloud that's over the movement where they, they don't know if they should or if they shouldn't to do or not to do, whether they should get involved with politics. But Jesus discussed the politics of those days with his friends and um, that's part of, uh, of the world that we live in. So, so if he was willing to do it, I'm willing to do it. In fact, I do that in, in small groups, but not as part of any religious institution. I totally get that part. Because it says religionists as a group must never concern themselves with anything but religion. Howbeit, any one such religious, religionist as an individual citizen, may become the outstanding leader of some social, economic, or political reconstruction movement. So uh, I just want, it's like a cloud or something that's over. I just want to sweep this away and, and help people get rid of their questions or resolve their questions about this. I do have, I, I do have to admit that I've tried to steer away from politics on this show and it's probably to a fault because you can't ignore what's happening. And I, I've, I've gotten some negative response from people when I do step into the political. But from my perspective, and I think you've nailed it, is that as a religious person and as a person who has God in his heart, everything is spiritual, even politics. Because politics mm -hmm. is really about the outcome where... People get served with dignity. They have a government that treats them with dignity. That they, there's not too much concentrated power where evil and corruption sort of takes over. And that's where I think we are now. And that's why it's so concerning uh, because of the fact that, you know, what we, what we spoke to earlier, which is philosophies and ideologies that are being perpetuated in order to keep power centers uh, in charge, you know. Um, right and censorship and you know i mean we were talking today about mike lindell now you know mike lindell is a very contentious figure but he's a christian and he right. wears his heart on his sleeves and he does commercials and you can see the christ lion portrait behind him i mean the guy wears this cross he's and here's a man who is speaking out not because he's political but because he he wants the truth and sometimes the truth gets in the way of politics and so I admire him, but he doesn't go on, and I'm just using it as an example, 
but he he's a very contentious guy. So how do you how do you blend? Is, like you were saying, how is it feasible that you can be, you know, a religious person? And how what effect does that have on your political viewpoint? And and mm. you know, how do we not step over that line where we're merging? Yeah, Mike Lindell, what a thing! So he was at a Hardee's drive-through. Yeah. And then he's right there waiting for his hamburger or whatever. And then he's completely surrounded by FBI cars, you know, and agents. And they want his phone. And so uh, the thing is, while he was being surrounded, he was uh, witnessing to one of the FBI agents uh, about his faith and how he could turn to God. I mean, that's the kind of guy that Mike Lindell is. Yeah. I mean, even in the the worst of circumstances, he still figures out a way to get a little bit of truth in there and witnessing and all that. It's it's fantastic. But I I, I agree. So the the situation that we're in now, to me, is much of it is self-inflicted. And uh, I want to kind of go back to something that never gets brought up, but it's kind of close to me. Now, I, I was born and raised a environmentalist and I believe in clean air and water and environment and I don't like waste and I think people consume too much and I remember when I was young and they first introduced cassettes uh, and you would go and buy a cassette and they would be in these big gaudy plastic cardboard wraps you know and and even at that age in the 70s I was saying boy this is a real waste of, of raw materials because just because they don't want somebody to stuff a cassette and in their pocket and walk out the door. And then CDs came along and they did the same thing. So I, I say that because uh, as an environmentalist, I believe that we should. it works out to have clean air, water, and the environment. What I don't subscribe to is the climate crisis issue. And here's why. Uh, if you're familiar with Malthusian, he was a rev- reverend. I think his name was either Jonathan or Robert. But anyway. Yeah, Malthus. I'm quite familiar, yeah. yeah. And he believed that man would destroy himself. That was his philosophy, that we'd run out of food and we'd run out of coal. And he lived in a very dark period in England when when the Industrial Revolution was just getting started and things were dirty. You know, you'd have people dying of coal, you know, breathing in coal. They still do. But anyway, his viewpoint of humanity was that we're not going to be able to figure this out unless we have strict draconian rules. And so that Malthusian philosophy has has completely taken over climate science to the mm-hmm. point where we don't think that we're going to be, be able to figure out how to get off, get off of fossil fuels, which is cheap, abundant energy. So you have people who believe that they've got to force feed this new renewable thing, but it's actually having a hardship and it's creating mass poverty across the world. And it's going to continue to do this. Now, how do, what does this have to do with your Angie book? Well, if you believe that man has the ability to solve problems, and that's why we're here, then why, why don't we let that happen instead of, instead of having these people who are usurping power and they've replaced religion with this sort of pseudo-religious climate science stuff? Uh, and it's scaring a lot of people, and it's going to kill a lot of people because energy, without it, people die. Yeah, the the whole global warming thing uh, that turned into um, climate change, it was rebranded. Uh, this is destroying Europe right now. Uh, Germany, they've had not a doubling or a tripling, but a tenfold 
the 12-fold increase in the, in the price of energy. And they're having to shut down factories, some of which, like, uh, say, a, uh, an aluminum smelting plant with all that molten aluminum, if they shut that down, you can't just turn it back on. Uh, these are meant to continuously run. They're uh, looking at an incredible um, difficult time coming into this winter. It's going to be very serious. So I've been preaching um, global cooling, actually, for about 10 years. Yeah, same here. Uh, same with the um, uh, solar minimum mm -hmm. and uh, grand solar minimum. I've been writing on this, and our our hot summers are getting shorter, and our winters are getting longer, especially in the about in the northern latitudes. And I always watch this very carefully, and usually put out a little newsletter once a year, and kind of saying, "Okay, just track with me here and yeah. see if this is really going." So, but yeah, I agree with you, Jim. People are getting frightened um, by the situation that's that's being preached about. Um, uh, how we have to get off of all these fossil fuels, but the the problem is, well, it was it was, it was really sad. It would have almost been hilarious. But the same day that Gavin Newsom of uh, California announced that they were going to get rid of all um, cars that ran on gas or diesel, the same day that 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 announcement came out, he also it was like the day day after he he made an announcement that you have to quit charging your electric vehicles. I mean, how yeah. crazy can that be? Yeah. You know, don't charge your electric vehicles from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. or something like this. See, they don't even have enough electricity to charge these vehicles. Yeah, that, which goes to the point that the the uh, ideology is is outpacing technology. We don't have yet the technology to make this seamless transition. We will someday. Once they right. figure out the, you know, the Arantia book talks a lot about this unknown energy source, we'll find it. Right. And, and when we do, and we, when we learn how to harness it, we're, and it mentions also that we're in that age where, I mean, people don't talk about this a lot, but one of the reasons that slavery ended wasn't out of the goodness of the hearts of the people. Well, it was, but it was, it was because of machinery. Human labor became yeah. worthless when you had machines, and, and we're going through that period now. And there's an extensive amount of stuff in the Arantia book that talks about how do we deal with this very issue in the here and now. There's a whole chapter when it talks about the different epics and, and the evolution of human government and, and, mm -hmm. and finding jobs for people who become unemployed because they're being replaced by technology. The Arantia book was writing about this in the 1930s. Yeah, that was pretty incredible. Uh, we've had, you know, since the 1920s, we've had many beautiful things. Uh, worldwide poverty has plummeted. Um, literacy has gone way up. Lots of great things have happened uh, due to the what the Uranch book calls the unrecognized and unacknowledged spiritual workings of the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we've had all kinds of gains, but right now we're coming into a very troubled period. So... I set up the Mount Seraph camp in northern Arizona, and uh, we're on four acres in the middle of um, 960,000 acres of the Tonto National Forest, which is right on our border. And so I teach um, uh, self-sufficiency. We have put in all of our own solar panels. It's off-grid. We have rainwater collection. 
and we actually show people uh, how to do these things. And if I was up there and and uh, the guacamole hit the fan, I would just I could just stay there for years. Well, you and, could survive. Problem. Yeah, but we all yeah. know about it now, so we'll come see you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I actually invite people to come over for training, and I don't charge anything. And a lot of people have taken me up. I've had a lot of uh, visitors over the past several years and men's retreats and family retreats. And so uh, this is something where I don't just shoot from the hip and, and talk about uh, concepts on an intellectual basis. But uh, at least in that particular uh, work, that's been going since the year 2001. And then uh, the children's home is also becoming more and more self-sufficient that's on 100 acres and that's been going since 1955 so you know we're, we're trying to to put these things into action and so i'll just let you leave with whatever the temperature or dimension or level or degree that you want to talk about politics um, and let you guide the conversation but to me it's all about joining with other people making decisions so that the issues of economy, which are based around food, fuel, and finance, the three Fs, um, that we can make good decisions so that we, we can have a peaceful and a happy life. Well, I also want to, I think there's a par parallel here to, to what you're talking about, and this is on the same subject, but I recently read this book by, uh, I think I have it here, it's called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And the reason I bring it up is because I think that the author of that book, which is a gentleman by the name of uh, Dismet, Matthias Desmet, D-E-S-M as in Mary, E-T. Mm -hmm. And it, it, he, uh, he uses, obviously, the COVID pandemic and what we all went through. But the premise of the book, and he sounds like he's a Urantia book reader because there are a lot of things that he picks on or includes in his book. It talks about psych mass formation psychosis, and right. somebody, yeah, and he really goes into you know why people were so complacent during the the pandemic, where they were willing to give up everything just for safety oh. because they were mm -hmm. convinced that you know by the media, by by the doctors, you know, is, you know we could we could lose everything anyway. So I think he might be a Urantia book reader because everything he talks about in that book comes down to this you know do you have faith in a higher power and if you nice. have have faith in a higher power and that higher power has endowed you with free will dignity then totalitarianism is incompatible with that but if you don't believe in a higher power and you don't believe that you are endowed by a creator and you do believe that the government is is your, your refuge or your safety. And this is what it comes down to between, say, the, the, the great dichotomy between the communist way, which is completely atheistic, and the government is the ruling power and is the higher power and controls everything. Mm -hmm. And you subscribe to that because you don't want to be involved. You don't want to take you know personal responsibility into anything, and you just want to be told what to do. And this right. is why totalitarianism rises, because in places like Germany in the 30s, you know, in Italy and Russia, people, there's three groups. There's the groups that go along to get along, which represents about 30% of the population. 
And then you have another group which represents about 30% of the population. And they, they want to be told what to do. They, they, they prefer safety over freedom. And then you have that mm-hmm. small subset of what's left of people who are just naturally like you and me. They, they question everything. They're, sus- they're naturally suspicious uh, of over-control. Uh, and I find that a lot of your Rancho book readers fall into that third category. And maybe yeah, that's, that's a nice thing. Maybe that's why they're open to the idea. But in, in any event, you know, I, I appreciate and it's a good read. If you want to try to understand human psychology, it's a great book. Uh, and again, it's called and, and I'd be curious if anybody knows uh, Dismet and, and his background, because it sure looks like he tapped into paper 90, 195 because he brings up the idea that we've been reduced to atoms. You know, we talked about this before with the James Webb Telescope. According to Science Today, we are nothing more than molecules. We have been reduced, we've been atomized to to the point where everything can, science can control everything. If they just have enough data, they'll be able to control everything. And we've succumbed to this, but it's it's brought to us a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. and uh, 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 orphan, you know, that feeling of being that my my individual life really has no meaning beyond the grave. It's really just about the greater good, you know. So we can touch on that, but you say that we have... So comment on a little bit of that. W- based on what you've seen, what is your greatest concern, Joshua, right now regarding spirituality and the future of spirituality of God on this planet? Okay, well, I'm looking at this uh, psychology of totalitarianism. It just came out <clears throat> June... 2022, which you've read, and he talks about the world being in the grip of a mass formation, dangerous collective collective type of hypnosis, as we bear witness to loneliness, free-floating anxiety, fear giving way to censorship, loss of privacy, and so forth. And so um, here's my viewpoint to answer your question, Jim. I'm totally not panicking at all about the spiritual mm, movement that's happening uh, on the earth. I think that that's absolutely secure. What I am concerned about is that uh, economies go in cycles, and we're going into a a bad moon arising right now. Yeah, We've got... You know, inflation is, is going through the roof. Uh, uh, we've got energy crisis. We've got uh, problems with food. We've got problems with finance as the, uh, the, the World Economic Forum is trying to bring about a great reset. I don't think any of those things are going to be successful in the long run. But the problem is, as your answer book says, it's always a difficulty of transitional breakdown. So that's what I, if, to answer your question, my biggest concern is the transitional breakdown where uh, people will be suffering because as Macron of France just announced last week to his nation, he said the times of abundance are over. And that's pretty heavy for yeah. the leader of a major Western country to, to come right out and make a statement. So I'm concerned that um, people are going to be going into difficult times, but as far as the spiritual plan and purposes, I view the exact opposite. I think we're in a revival because times of great uh, testing 
your ranch book says, have also always been times of great revelation. So the two two are happening simultaneously. Yeah. I, I agree with you, especially if you heard the conversation we were having in the last episode where we had, Josh, I'm not kidding, six people. I never, I've never done an interview with six people in my life. And, yeah, I listened to it. It was great. And, and you hear the hope and you hear the, uh, the optimism. And it didn't matter if you were in Argentina or Mexico or Israel. And it, it just really it, it, it inspired me. And what you're saying inspires me. And you're absolutely right. This, these are the times when heroes are made. Right. And it all depends yeah. on your own character and what your, what your motivations are. And if your motivations are pure, this is why, you know, I, I, I don't like to, again, get political. But there are certain heroes that I see walking today. And it's like, wow, you know, um, Mike Pompeo is a good example. You know, here's a guy who's, who's a very devout and he does want to change things. And he knows, I mean, this guy's got to know the horror and, and the and the evil that's going on in the world. For God's sakes, he's dealing with these people. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he's just an example of somebody who's driven. Mike Lindell, another one. And there are a lot of a lot more of these people that, that are inspiring to me. So this this actually... It may be a bad time economically, but we're not going to starve to death. We have the technology. I mean, I don't. I hope not. I don't think we will. You know, I'd like to bring up this quote on intelligent patriotism. I'm going to yes. look this up right now. Yeah, I want to talk about that too because there's now a new term that it's been introduced in the lexicon. It's called Christian nationalism. Um, right. And it's and there was an article that I I I can't remember. Maybe it was. Spencer Brown or somebody, but anyway, he was talking about the queen and the commonality between recognizing the sacredness of the queen and the sacredness of the Christian nation concept that evolved in America during the Calvin and Calvin days where divine providence, you know, manifest destiny. And we Americans tend to look at America, I think, as being a Christian nation, even though it is plural. Uh, and we allow for everyone to sort of believe or not to believe, and that's a good thing. But um, I wonder if, if po- politically the Christian uh, religion will get more political, and if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, th- I don't think it's a good thing. Uh, right. So the quote that I gave before is that religionists must never concern this, themselves with anything but religion, yeah. albeit any one such religionist like those men you just mentioned, as an individual citizen, may become the outstanding leader of some uh, economic or political uh, reconstruction movement. So this is where I want to kind of pull the fog, fog of war, or the cloud uh, over people's minds to realize uh, what intelligent patriotism could involve, which I think has to do with your, your question. Yeah. On paper 81, it says no national civilization, okay, you're talking about nationalism or maybe Christian nationalism um, or maybe conservative nationalism, but no such nation long endures unless its educational methods and religious ideals inspire a high type of intelligent patriotism and national devotion. Without this sort of intelligent patriotism, and cultural solidarity, all nations tend to disintegrate as a result of provincial jealousies, 
and local self-interest. That's out of paper 81. So that's kind of so where we, we're at right now, though, don't yeah, you? This yeah, is, this yeah. is really pertinent, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, midterms are coming up, and I feel that uh, as I was in a study group two nights ago where we've known each other, we've been meeting for over 40 years, um, that, you know, we're, we, we feel comfortable talking with each other and we don't all have the same view but we're all trying to be intelligent and some of us have come around to trying to be patriotic and combining those things because we need that we realize that a, a national civilization cannot long endure it says that right there in the book so we do need this kind of, of effort and insight and I I love all of the purely religious activities that are happening in our Urantia institutions, and they should just go exactly like they're doing. They should be nonpartisan. However, if we're going to see the other side of the coin in what the Urantia book is telling us, that the individual needs to take responsibility. And one of the reasons the book says for the decline of the, West, of the uh, Roman Empire was that uh, citizens uh, failed to take an interest in uh, their local and national politics, and it, it dissolved. Well, it's good that you brought that up, because I would I would say that, again, as a roadmap or as a template, the Urantia book certainly offers, they make the point of saying that a representative government is a good thing and that we're on the right track. But, you know, unless you're involved, and like you say, unless we have good leaders that are enlightened and not self-serving, uh, then, yeah, we do risk your smart patriotism. You mentioned something about Revolutionary Act and usury in, in our email exchanges. Uh, mm-hmm. Can we can we delve into that a little bit about what your thoughts were? Uh, yeah, because the, the three Fs, uh, food, fuel, and finance, uh, equals economy. In other words, our economy is how things work. Somebody might barter. They might exchange uh, uh, some silver or gold. They might exchange some dollars. But the the economy is, is only going to operate when you have food, fuel, and finance functioning and available. Now, in the realm of finance, finance is, uh, which is right now, it's kind of like uh, Western Central Banks uh, pushing around uh, fiat currencies and it doesn't it starts to lose grip with reality and one of the big problems with finance which has shackled people is usury now I know we don't use that term a lot anymore so I'll just uh, define it for you usury is excessive compound interest where a person buys a home and they're lucky to get it paid off by the time they die uh, this is shackling people it's not right and Jesus, in his discourse with the wealthy Stoic Roman citizen, uh, listed off uh, ten types of wealth. But during that talk, he uh, warned against uh, the problem with usury. It's unfair. It's thoughtless. It's a ripoff. It's unkind. And in that paper, I do a historical search with uh, the Catholic, the Orthodox, uh, the Jewish and the Muslim viewpoints, where they all early on were against usury. 
and had it written into their doctrines, you might say, that this was not good. But one by one, they all folded. And I point out this history where they just acquiesced to the lure, the temptation of making incredible amounts of money by charging people interest. So the average person looks at their their mortgage statement when it comes in the mail each month and they see how much of the payment went towards interest and how much of it went towards principal. That's why I wrote the paper, Usury as a Revolutionary Act. This, the revolution is a revolt against God and fairness, and it has to be rectified. And Jesus said, you have to cleanse your capital. That's a quote. Quote, cleanse your capital, unquote. And so we have to decouple. Uh, how is that done? I, I'm not going to be able to change the minds of the, the, the Western Central Banks, but they're, they're going down right now. They're, they're on the verge of collapse. And so we're going to have to rebuild. But uh, as we rebuild, there has to be lending is fine. A small amount of interest or fees is fine. But uh, not this, this usury, which is unfair. And so I just have to point it out. This is not rocket science. There's reasons why we're suffering. A lot of people are suffering in the way that they are. Just think if people didn't have to pay all that kind of interest, um, how much more in the way of funds that they would have available for their families, for their laudable life projects, for Urantia projects, for uh, evangelism or whatever their calling is. So it's not right. It needs to be called out. And that's why I wrote that paper. Um, so I'm a homeowner, and I signed the documents, and I agreed to the terms. I'm not sure if I knew whether they were fair or not, but it allowed me to get into my home. Right. So, you know, you could say, well, look, I, I'm the one that signed, so nobody twisted my arm. But you're saying that the, the, the entire premise of the usury is unfair because it 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 never goes away, it seems, right? So. But what, yeah. what is it? Expound on it a little bit more for me and for people who might share the same life experiences as, as, as I do. You know, back yeah. in the old days when you could buy a house for you know twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and I actually know somebody now who has a, a loan from an individual member in my family, and she's just paying simple interest. Well, that means if the interest is five percent, and you get a loan for $100,000, uh, that just means you're going to pay $5,000 in simple interest. That's the way it used to be. But now uh, all these uh, four church or large religious groupings I mentioned have caved into accepting um, uh, usurious compound interest. Uh, and, and when you signed that document, it wasn't like you had a lot of choice. Yeah, There's right. nobody else offering anything. The only choice was going to be uh, 3% or 4% or 5%. You know, that's not much of a choice because once you put that into a compound interest table, that means you're going to be paying double, you know, by the, the time you end up. Well, actually, it's even worse than that. For a, a $100,000 home over 30 years, you'll end up paying 300000 in it because of the interest. You know, depending yeah. on – that's just a bare, bare bones. And I could see, you know – 
But it's, I think what you're trying to say is that there are a lot of things like that that we have adopted into our modern uh, capitalist free market society. And, you know, but even the Urantia book makes it very clear that the profit motive eventually uh, is, is destructive. It, yeah, it has to be profit making is fine. Um, according to what Jesus told that Stoic, everybody's uh, deserves to, to make some profit from from their labors and their invention, uh, but it has to be within reason. It's it's not to take advantage of the other person, and it has to be more and more supplanted by the service motive. Are we actually serving people and helping people while we're making a little profit along the way? I get it. Right, right. Uh, do you see that happening where we become more service-oriented in the decades to come? I mean, is this where some of this equality and equity uh, is derived from, that energy is because, you know, these people feel that a more fair system, uh, and what do they get right about that and what do they get wrong about that? Well, the the part that gets wrong, that is being gotten wrong is is the idea that equality of outcomes is is a is a good thing to strive for i feel that that's very negative and destructive i don't think that we can um uh i don't think we have any promise or reason to bring equality of outcomes because people have all different kinds of levels of uh, ability and interest and involvement in the marketplace others have very little uh, or less, and and each should be able to live their life as they want. But the service motive means that in our work, while we're making a little bit of profit, and this is growing, and I've been involved in the nonprofit uh, sector for a long time, supporting causes like that. That means that what we want to do is we want to serve one another and we want to help one another in all kinds of ways. You know, for me, it was uh, working at an orphanage for 20 years. Uh, for somebody else, it, it's, it's something uh, different. So whatever it is, um, the service motive will eventually bring us into a future time where money almost becomes, starts to become irrelevant. This is sometime into the future. It's almost like a Star Trek future. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that is where it's going. Right now, we need to bring more fairness, not equality of outcomes, but equalities of opportunity that support everyone in their laudable life projects and the ability to work at a job and make a living and put a family together. A lot of people, a lot of young people now are so saddled with college debt that they can't even buy a home. And if they can't buy a home, then they're reluctant to get married. And if they don't get married, they don't have children, and then they don't have families. And it's very destructive. So it does make a difference. Yeah. So let's talk about family for a moment, Joshua. I see a, a, a de-emphasizing of the family, which is, according to the two most favorite parts of the Arantia book in the third section on marriage. That's where so much of, of character is established, morality, ethics, altruism. It all starts in the home, and it starts with siblings learning that they're not the center of the universe. Uh, it's learning to be loyal 
It's where we learn to be loyal. Uh, it's learn where we learned so many. I'm so grateful that when I think about that, I had a I had a pretty decent growing up. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I'm glad that those first six seven years were how they were because it is literally true. You do be you know I was I was raised in a family of four four kids, three kids, uh, one from a different uh, father. And we did learn self-sacrifice. We we weren't rich. We were so, somewhat on the lower spectrum. So, you know, you valued things. And, uh, you know, so, but if you don't have that, if that's not how you start out, and, and it seems like the emphasis on family now is nothing. It's, it's almost negative the way that society portrays. Uh, it's, it's like the nuclear family is a, is a bad word. Uh, your thoughts on that? It's like a three-legged stool. The Arantia book says the three pillars of society are family, church, and school. For Urantia book readers, church for us means what we're doing right here, getting together with people, having study groups, having conferences, having institutes, and then we have school. Our children must be educated. Uh, young children, uh, high schoolers, college students, we have to have a high degree of education in order to uh, balance and create equilibrium in society. Uh, and we need um, the home. And so without these three, if you pull any one of those legs out from underneath the three-legged stool, you're not going to be able to have a place to sit. There's an assault on the family. There's an assault on men. And it's very serious. And combined with the financial difficulties that I described, where family formation is becoming more difficult, the result is that the family, as you described, that you grew up in and which is similar to what I grew up in, a family of four children. And back in those days, it was kind of the leave it to beaver yeah. sort of an existence, and it was a great way to grow up. Uh, I want this for my own children and for the uh, uh, 770 children that I help raise at the children's home. This is our goal. Teach the children, get them involved in sports, teach them how to pray, get them involved in some kind of church activities, whatever that might be, uh, and create a home environment where people have regular meals together, where they read and study together, uh, do things together, and, and build up a rich, wonderful family life. Without that, well, we're not going to have uh, much of a civilization. So those are the three pillars, home, school, and church. Very well stated. Very well stated. Look, these are like basic principle concepts. Uh, when I hear, you know, my kids, I don't want to have kids. Or when I hear other people talking about, well, not everybody is intended to have kids, you know. and Or they come out with news reports. Oh, it cost you $300,000 to raise, raise a kid. Right. And it's like, what? Why are you putting a monetary cost on something? 
And so people today think, oh, you know, kids aren't important, but the dynamic of parenting is just as valuable to the parent as the dynamic of being a child is valuable, mm-hmm. right? Because again, you're learning sacrifice, service. Oh, I don't want to go to a, another softball game, but you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to go see music night at the school. Oh, but you go, right? And it right. makes, you know, so it's such a, I mean, I hate to like, even talk about it because it's so basic, but it seems like it's it's being forgotten, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. So it's under assault. It's under assault, and I, it's not as if uh, you know. The other thing that uh, someone brought this to me as well, and I'll share this with you, and maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but you know, there's this movement towards transgenderism, uh, which to me it seems as if what we've done is we've adopted an emotional disorder. And made it trendy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that you're born into the wrong body is is for someone to feel that way is is all the signs of somebody who is not comfortable with who they are, and that's that's the issue. Why isn't this person comfortable uh, with who they are? What happened to this person where they feel like they have to somehow escape from themselves? You know, the Urantia book says, and I'm sure the Bible and other books say, two things you can't run from, yourself and God. And right. so transgenderism seems to be running from yourself. You know, you're running from whoever it is that you are underneath. Because we're not flesh. I mean, you know, our outer shells are not representative of, of our true potential. But anyway, any thoughts on that? The uh, I'm for, I, I promote everybody having a personal relationship with God. And that means, yeah, not running from oneself or running from God. That is the answer to the identity crisis that's happening in the world. My only caveat, Jim, is that children should not be guided into Anything, especially not uh, puberty blockers or surgery, uh, they can't make that decision about what their identity is as children. We have an obligation as adults, as a society, as parents, as friends, to protect children until they can get to the age where they can make their own decisions. So that's pretty much my thoughts. Uh, people are free to pursue whatever kind of um, life direction seems right to them. And I plead with everybody of all different stratas of society to seek and find a personal relationship with God. If these are children, my strong opinion is they must be nurtured and grow up normally and naturally and not be guided into anything that will cause them to regret uh, changes with the natural unfolding of their sexuality, whatever that might be. We'll wait and see how that turns out. But let's not take three and five and ten-year-olds and be telling them that there's something other than their birth sex. Let's let that play out, and then they can make that decision for themselves later. And by the way, for people listening, this is coming from a guy who, as he mentioned uh, rather humbly, he's raised 700 children. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. I think he might have a thing or two to offer on this subject. Okay, yeah. final question. And let me tell you something. We're going to end this segment, Josh, with your music. Because you're a damn okay. good musician. And I, I listened to what you told me to listen to. Were you sad that Ramsey Lewis passed? Oh, that was a shock, of course, for all of us. <laughs> Wasn't it? He's a great, I love him. The In Crowd is one of my favorite songs. Grammy right. winning, Grammy winning, too. They didn't, didn't mention that. But yeah, what a, what a great, uh, you love music. Are you going to be a celestial artisan? Are you going to volunteer for that service? When the time comes, I really look forward to spending time with uh, beings like that, uh, celestial artisans. Uh, sometimes I feel like, uh, from time to time, they have come down and touched upon the earth, and I've gotten some inspiration. I think other musicians uh, have said similar things. Yeah, I look forward to that, and also the conductors of worship. You know, to me, that's our highest and and first calling. And uh, I just uh, love being involved in, in worship, uh, many times leading worship at conferences and so, so on and so forth. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful life uh, having that musical component in there. I'm not a very good musician, but I, I sense the wonderful feeling of unity when you're playing with other people. And there's that synchronicity that happens. And it comes out of nowhere, and it's right. a beautiful thing. It really is. It's just sort of touching, as Immanuel Kant would say, it's touching divine divinity just a little bit, and it's uh, pretty right. cool. So let's end it on that note. I'll play some music that you uh, shared with me, and uh, I like this. People are very responsive to you, and uh, and it's easy to see why. So I thank you for joining me again this time. I think our fourth appearance now here on the Arantia right. Radio Podcast. So. Any final thoughts, anything that you want to promote that you're involved with? The uh, paper that you mentioned, uh, Usury is a Revolutionary Act, and also my book, uh, Inner Mansions, which talks about ascending the psychic circles. These are all available for free and many, many others by writing me at musical at cox.net, M-U-S-I-C-A-L at C-O-X. Net. I always answer every uh, communication that I received, as I did the last time we were on. I really love it, uh, hearing from people, and I'll always respond promptly. As promised, I leave you now with a piece from Joshua and his Dave Brubeck tribute performance, also featuring fellow band performers Adam Clark on drums, Ruthie Wilde on vocals and cello, Christina Seaborn, violin, Jacob Silverman on bass, and Brother Joshua on piano, closing out this edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. Mm-hmm. 